Hi guys, Joe Whitcomb back here, part two of Adult Survivors of Aversive Childhood Experiences. I wasn't watching my time on the last one, so went over. So I wanted to um, finish this segment up um, with what we can begin to do. And we'll get into that in a minute. I wanted to just cover a few more things to really begin to take a deeper dive into this, the trauma, right? Um, and naming and taming the dragons Brr, when they got you hanging, dangling over the cliff. And, you know, I see this all the time with people. And again, someone who has uh, also climbed that mountain with no oxygen and little support, um, this is an opportunity for you to call out and use this time of the quarantine to do your 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 deeper level work and it's okay i'm here give me a call 310-560-0726 so we can begin to heal together um this is a good time for all of us when things have slowed down and we can do the self-reflection we can have that tranquility and practice our meditation and practice our prayers and practice our time of taking this time of growing and and um, I'm reminded of a verse in the Bible in Joel 2:25 and it says you know what the locusts have destroyed and devoured these years and years God said I want to restore repair and there will be no more shame because this is really about our shame story our collective shame story and that those pain points and, and that's a lot of the work I do the reason I do this work is because of my own that relationships do bring me the, the greatest amount of joy but they can also tend to be the greatest source of pain and suffering at the same time but doing this work I can hold my feet to the fire to the path to the integrity and as we do this work together, uh, our curriculums. And the curriculum is ours to uh, really discover and find out. And we do this work together as a team, as we leapfrog up the mountain together. And hopefully this will help you get on a good course for 2020 and making this decade um, the most powerful you've ever had. But getting back to the, just talking really directly today um, and openly about abuse, about aversive childhood experiences and, um, you know, making sense of all this. Again, because unfortunately children, as children we receive an internal psychological payoff when we believe that the abuse is our fault, right? That false of sense of power, right? That we talked about in the last episode and where as children we can let that unfairness and danger of the violence shatter us and or the abandonment where we can go into that swirl of feeling shattered, that losing ourselves, that, that kind of a withdrawal like an opiate drug when we feel that loss of connection and feeling frightened or angry or sad or helpless or disconnected or innocent. We can get caught up in that 
and get in our, into our woundology and that story of the wounding is what we lead with and I see this all the time and when we talk about it a lot but it doesn't ever get closure it doesn't ever close a loop and we stay stuck and frozen right there's nothing wrong with this situation but this is happening to us for a good reason this is happening so we can rewire some of those rusty wires um, because the thing is the abuse you did not deserve that wasn't happening because you deserved it or because you provoked it it's not why you're put on this earth to endure such things there's really nothing out of the ordinary about you know this these are the statements that we make to justify and rationalize and minimize that internal psychological payoff right to stay to kind of be able to stay connected into a relationship as painful as it is and but this is also maybe where we need to deinvest and stop going to an empty well and so we don't have to continue the abuse in our life but children you know the ch as a child we're doing the best that we could to make sense out of this abuse neglect we had you know again by maybe feeling guilty and, and taking a hundred percent responsible responsibility for everything because you know we were holding on to that illusion that we are in control of what's when, when we feel like we're truly out of control and that illusion of, of, of power seems better than acknowledging that no one that we don't have any power at all and so the psychological pseudo-logic let's say kind of helps quell some of the fear or hurt or rage or terror or confusion sadness rationalizing them into a deep freeze deep deep frozen and these child's sense of guilt and responsibility this is useful you know to the abusive parent who believes he isn't abusive you're the problem for pointing out the problem so this is a child who's again if you're in that situation who's been forced you know forcing them into being abusive this non-protective adults want the child you to bear the guilt so they don't have to face the harm the neglect is causing or their hurt or harm pain and suffering so the dance of that violent family begins and children are responsible then for adults behavior this is what happens you're made responsible for your adults thoughts feelings tasks everything and adults we've learned are responsible for nothing adults are responsible for nothing which is not true that's the lie because when we face these random senseless abuse you know a child begins to think to himself or herself that we are inherently unlovable right unaccepted wrong believing yourself to be guilty or responsible or in control of others hurtful behavior you know that can be a tenacious habit or a pattern of thought habit of action you know because many survivors would begin to deal with any overwhelming experience like physical illness or abandonment by a friend or spouse academic or job demands by conf by comforting ourselves with the illusion that we're in fact in control and to blame 
night. It's an enormous amount of energy that's sapped by this irrational guilt that I'm always to be blaming, be blamed. I'm 100% responsible for 100% of everything that goes on out there. That external locus control, because really, do we as survivors, we see ourselves as so powerful over the good in our own lives. The author, being the author, being in the author in charge, taking charge of our own love and taking charge, of, that just seems like an impossible thing because what would happen if we did take charge what would happen if you did speak up as a child where would you go what would you do you get knocked down you get you get you know there was no way because <laughs> our parents constant projection has left its mark its indelible mark on our heart or like a tattoo in our brain a tattoo in our heart a tattoo in our body like it's it's there it's that constant projection like a branding and as survivors we get convinced of this inherent sense of worthlessness and inadequacy and as i talk to people who are out there you may be one of those people that are praying for worthiness because that too is a lie because we don't pray for worthiness because as Brene Brown says, hey, we're wired for struggle, we're imperfect, but we're worthy of love and belonging. So we don't pray for worthiness, we pray through worthiness, because you have worth. And so to look to other people, places, things for our salvation, right? Looking outside of ourselves for that salvation, right? That hero, that, you know, that, that rescuer, that savior. Right? So a lot of us, so we don't feel that loss or abandonment, we become that rescuer for others while at the same time abandoning ourselves. And, and only when we have that perfect intimate partner there, or our dream house or a public recognition at work or whatever that is, we're going to have that sense of being redeemed or if we rescued somebody else or we conquered that one compulsion or impulsion and now we, you know, we're going back as... Of course, anything so powerful to save their lives might also destroy their lives, too. Again, you're living by a certain sword, you die by that sword, which brings the survivor back full circle to your original feelings of powerlessness and being responsible for all the pain in the world. And we feel that sense of we're inept at enjoying our own happiness and joy. We're just incapable of ex fully experiencing it because we're so detached. And we can't connect out there until we connect inside, internally, and identify the internal storms and the pain and discomfort. Because that fantasy as a coping me mechanism can also be our weakness, right? When we, the, too often fantasies become more real than the relationships themselves, the idealization. We idealize it and value, then devalue and reject and dispose of because we're re constantly rejecting and protecting and resisting, which persists because these survivors, we fantasize a lot about other, what other people think or feel about them. It's like we're that scared little kid in the corner there scanning the other person's nervous system, trying to code and decode every facial expression, every movement, every word, everything that's being said. So if something happens and you feel that trigger, 
Danger, danger, danger is a story adding, subtracting all this meaning and that meaning has something to to protect, all right? So that translating and interpreting everything, that brown squiggly thing in the grass that you're coding and decoding is in a stick, it's a snake, and every brown squiggly thing that you code, decode is going to attack and is dangerous. Right? So trauma has takes control precedence. It's kind of like, and it influences our ways of organizing in our mind and what goes on out in the world, you know. And survivors who have not, who if we haven't fared well in life, tend to think a lot of times in these overgeneralizations, these sweeping generalizations. People are either good or bad. There's no technicolor or gray area in between. Everything is always or never, right? And there's a long ways between now and never, right? With no room for doesn't matter much. Because in contrast, some of us survivors have thinking that is highly compartmentalized and in that all or nothing black and white rigidity, that wounded child, that adaptive child that compartmentalizes everything and keeps it separate. Because children, you know, they simply don't have the cognitive development as children, we didn't have that life experience for clear thinking, really in the face of trauma. All that's occurring simultaneously. But here's the, in contrast here, right? It's children simply do not have the ability for us to think through these thinking errors. Again, that reflects our best attempt to comprehend the incomprehensible, kind of going back to what I was talking about with the um, the calculus problem, trying to comprehend the incomprehensible or comprehensible when the truth wasn't offered or even allowed. You know, so the first step to recovery then, as we get into this, is to examine, challenge, and change these old ways of thinking about trauma, and better understanding from this trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method I've developed to understand how trauma affects your attachment, your attachment styles, your imprints, your memory, your nervous system, your relationships, your emotions, the sensations that you feel in your body, all those things co-occurring. And the good news is, the really good news is that all that is mirrored back as a way for us to heal, but we need, you know, you and I need to talk and get through some of these challenges so we can the goal of that is sorting through the lies of the mind and you know also to learn to take the abuse less personally and maybe feel safer so by you and i by us looking back okay not to live in the past because but the past does get reenacted in the present so we're not but we're understanding how these we can be powerfully secure adults with powerful adult minds so we can be more objectively measuring the powerlessness of, a tr of that traumatized child who had to learn to accommodate and adjust and you know that wounded child the the accommodation of that so that we're able to think more clearly and and but that may not be the entire answer again because 
But it is an excellent and necessary beginning for us to think differently about that. As Emerson wrote, okay, it's the oyster who mends its shell with pearls. But unlike oysters, we're not solitary creatures, right? We're not on an island. We mend one another as well as ourselves. And again, the pearls of wisdom and that irritant is like a piece of grain in an oyster that you know, is the perfect blessing and just the right gift. So pearls of wisdom help us to take that next step into from the known to the unknown, the the certainty to the uncertainty, heal in the company of other people and feeling the effects of the trauma while we hold on to our life rafts here as we sit in the raft of truth in an ocean of grace, fierce grace, the unforced rhythm of grace that can flow within and between us as we heal and feelings begin in the body not just the mind not in the mind a lot of us think well i'm feeling it in my mind now we're if you really slow it down do the play-by-play -play as we go through this we feel that in our body first the body keeps score right so think about the next time you have a trigger where do you feel it in your chest like when i get triggered and i start feeling it it's exactly like uh, this red-hot lava dragon with fiery breath in my chest and down my arms, this river of fire and lava going down in my head, and I disassociate and I run away, typically. That's my typical response is to not... I will, I will only tend to fight back when I'm pursued, and then I will lean in and set a ba harsh boundary, typically, but... I'm getting better at that. I hope you guys are too. I, I can tend to be the exploding doormat. Hey, guys, please, everybody, just to make everybody happy, being the rescuer. But then, you know, it gets to be too much and poof, explode, right? The exploding doormat. Anybody else out there? So thinking comes much more easily to me now. It's, it's still a big risk to feel. Um, you know, if I ever started to cry, I'd cry a river sometimes. If I ever felt the terror of it all, I'd probably disintegrate into nothingness. And that's okay. I went through a group one time, and I was talking to the men, and they were going around saying, who are you? And people would say different things, and they came to me, and I, I don't know, I said something like, I'm a connector. And everyone just shook their head like it didn't land. And they were right, because I wasn't connected. I, was con I wasn't connected to me. And the only thing I could say was, I'm nothing. And my friend, who is also facilitating the group, said to me, that's the perfect place to be, Joe, nothing. Because God, he said, from when God spoke, he said, from nothing, he created everything. The other side of nothing is everything. Everything is on the other side of nothing. A tabula rasa, blank slate, a clean slate, something that I can take and clear out the debris from the past and the constraints of the past so you too can you know be okay that to say I'm nothing not from a place of worthlessness but a place of every day today I can clear that out I can start anew and rethink and refeel and reconnect to my body and everything around me so that I can truly have a way of 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 um, relating to myself and to others right again because this is really super important 
that we think about how these coping strategies whether you know have truly impacted you and I know the intent is one thing but the effect is another and so we have to look at the effects of the intention that has been protecting us for so long which actually is again a double-edged sword live by that sword die by that sword and you have to ask yourself you know and be okay if you feel like crying crying if you feel like laughing laugh you know if you feel like you know shouting shout you know find a safe place to do that and to connect again you can call me 310-560-0726 or email me and i'll send you an email on the seven trauma loops so we can begin to identify what those trauma loops are together and the more you know and you can look at this stuff from 10,000 20,000 30,000 feet without the judgment things happen again feelings begin in the body not in the mind and I talked to a lot of survivors and they a lot of times will say I again I I know what happened wasn't my fault but I still feel somewhat unlovable and damaged like it was my fault because children don't innately know how to repress <laughs> our spontaneous responses right again children learn what they live live what they learn so they've been taught I and mean, troubled parents are perhaps the best teachers of all because there are three ironclad rules in every abusive home don't talk don't trust don't feel and to break any of them means risking this rejection or punishment and that don't talk don't trust don't feel this double bind and let me explain what a double bind is to you so and and again when it comes to trauma and survive all this you know it doesn't matter if you're drowning at one feet seven feet or 21 feet you're drowning right you're drowning but there is a difference of when you start to learn how to swim or when you start trying to get back to this you know, uh, if you're at one feet, seven feet, or 21 feet, if you're at seven feet, listen, that's that makes it harder to reach. But to reach it, we will, so you can get back to shore and get to the peace and find that secure base, that sound space, that, you know, that space. But the double bind is kind of like this. Think of it like this don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Okay, and, what, and when we break any of those, means we're going to be you know fist again a rejection or abandonment or punishment and hurt more hurt and harm in some way but that so imagine you have a teacher right or a parent right a parent shows the child the stick and and the child says that's a stick acknowledging that that's a stick that's a stick and the parent strikes the the child and then the parent shows the stick again and the child says that that is not a stick that's not real it's not a stick and the child gets struck again or abandoned and then the child ignores it like don't feel doesn't feel it doesn't see it doesn't you know doesn't talk about it doesn't like it doesn't exist and the parent still strikes the child with the stick so what are you supposed to do? What are you to do? What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do now that you couldn't do as a child to up-level that communication and those boundaries? What can you do? Where do you have the power and freedom to choose something different right now that you couldn't choose back then to solve that calculus problem? 
and to go, okay, what am I supposed to learn here? But maybe deeper here is what am I not willing to learn here? And that maybe what I'm not willing to learn here is that I do have the power and freedom to choose to walk up to that parent now, grab the stick, and break it. We have a, ah, now we have another way. We have another way. We can break that pattern, that stick, that attachment injury, that wound. Because the abusive home of don't talk, don't trust, don't feel kept us frozen. And that's the double bind. That's the cage, the velvet cage, the velvet trap. If you close your fist tight and you grip onto it really tight, you don't let go. Inside, you're protecting it. But it's a trap. It's a trap. Because one of the few predictable aspects, let's say, of a violent family is the unpredictability of your parents' responses. My dad was, ex both parents actually were very unpredictable. And we had four businesses and we were around each other 24-7. And so, of course, the work stress, the business stress, money stress, chores stress, going to school, work, go to school, work, all that stuff, you know. But that unpredictability of that parent's response Again, go back and watch that uh, still face experiment with the baby and the mother and watch that and see. Because here's what happens. Every time a, the child cries, they're going to get a different response. And soon you realize that it's unsafe to cry. Because either you get neglected or you get a spanking or some children were shaken. And then after a while... and. And it keeps our feelings to, we keep our feelings to ourselves. And perhaps we loathe spontaneity because it, it causes so much trouble, right? So if you kind of shut down any kind of curiosity because you, were, you didn't have parents in your life who were spontaneous or curious or safe, right? So we kind of shut that process down. And, you know, as young children, you know, we offer our feelings to adults as, as gifts saying, you know, as currency of love, right, in exchange for intimacy, right? And we trade that in, that authentic true self, just to survive again for intimacy and connection, belonging, to stay safe. Now, all they can do is be close to adults, is to offer their feelings here. So when our feelings are ignored or rejected or as wrong or bad or troublesome or sick or crazy or stupid or too much, you know, in that feeling of being rejected. Or the young mind reasons, since my feelings aren't acceptable, must be, I must be unacceptable too. Do you see where the truth can go? Because beyond teaching children and adults, my whole life, mostly working with adults, to recognize and articulate our emotions, our, that underlying, that those, that deep ocean of, that undercurrent of waves and waterways and all these things that we want to be able to express, these high tides, low tides, rip tides, all those things. And when that earth shook and a tsunami came and you didn't know what to do with that. When children do not learn how to do this, we become overwhelmed by this flood, experiencing this emotions as floods. 
getting flooded and you, we loathe to fear or loathe their, our own feelings. And there's this part of us as adults from abusive homes can also become pain avoidant or love avoidant or just avoidant of any thing that may feel like discomfort. And so again, survivors attempt to control people and events around them so we can, so we'll never have to feel pain again. That's been my greatest, <laughs> that was my superpower. I could just numb everything out. And we train people either with our very porous boundaries or our harsh, rigid boundaries or, you know, our boundaries and rule. Well, and sometimes I don't even call them boundaries. They're more like rules to protect ourselves. Because what's most tragic about pain-avoidant behavior is, again, that's a defense against something that's already happened and cannot be undone can't change the past how we can okay the past present future past is about shame and 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 about guilt and feeling all that stuff from the past that we've internalized as because shame makes us believe is so corrosive it makes us believe that we can't change or that our situation can't change and we can't really live fully in this present until you know we have you know, uh, have a perspective of the past that's more healthy. But sometimes, you know, being preoccupied and defensive about this pain, waiting in the future where we kind of catapult it or, or future trip it and just, you know, the future is just another distraction from addressing the real pain in the past, in the present, here and now. So what are you running away from? What are you hiding from? I mean, we're hiding... We've been hiding from love and connection and for a long time. Uh, it goes back thing of the Garden of Eden, eating from the tree of good and bad, right? So the story goes, and Adam and Eve hid between the proverbial fig leaves, the mask, hiding from love. And they were hiding with fear and shame. And the shame, these two master emotions, fear and shame, shame is the past, and most men take on the shame and Women take on more of the anxiety and the fear about the future and begin to control both aspects. And so living fully in the present, authentically, and healing is where we can begin to transmute and transform and use the content of all these things in our life to join in the truth. And intimacy is that, again, to be intimate is to risk pain. Again, there's no guarantees, you know, there's no guarantee, but you can choose, you know, um, another path, another practice, another way, and choose healthier relationships, choose healthier people, right? Finding safe people, people that have your back, no matter what, because all that's co-occurring in that moment, okay? So survivors attempt... We attempt to flee from feelings about having been abused from these normal reactions to abnormal situations, and that trauma again can take control precedence. It's the woundology, it's a thing that you know we lead our life through out of our fear of being wounded again because that situation was life threatening in the past. And sometimes, as survivors, we mistakenly believe that to experience those feelings today would also be life threatening. 
and would bring on an emotional breakdown or falling apart, like to, like shattering like it is to death. So we don't understand that the breakdown has already happened and now that nervous system, the circuitry of the nervous system is in this, when we're those, when their feelings are, when we get preempted by shame and what blocks that, you know, we jump up into grandiosity and feeling, making it better rather than feeling what we need to feel, right? So important here, because again, when you're ready, when you're ready for this, so you know, survivors, you know, we can afford to look that death squarely, that dragon squarely in the face. When we have people who will stand by you, who will take a stand for your transformation, you know, to get back to knowing who are you, where are you going, what are you standing for, what are you fighting for, championing your higher purpose. What is it right now for you as this coronavirus is going on and all this time that you have to think about your past, your present, future, taking this time to really connect to yourself so you can thaw out, right? And when it's finally safe enough, you know, as the survivor, we're able to remember the memories and feelings and feel the feelings about the trauma, feel what we need to feel, such as the thawing out, and, you know, when we get frozen is... Yeah, the thou is the second chance, an emotional uh, redemption, reincarnation. You know, a, a um, it's the re it's it, a better word would be kind of the um, the um, uh, when we uh, raise back to life again. Why can't I think of that word? Um, Jesus was you know the resurrection. There you go, resurrection. That resurrection, right? And then we can really feel the thawing out, and 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 still the first sensations that have been repressed or voided. All of the ones that life can feel like a tidal wave. All those things you've been holding back, because when we're ready, the thoughts and feelings can return. So in response to what's been uncovered here, then we can often feel great anger at the betrayal itself and and the injustice and the randomness of the violence and this the unpredictability and need our own understanding our own need for proximity and a safe haven, a secure base connection. Because then we can really start healing. Because underneath that anger is a terror. Underneath because the anger is secondary. The primary underneath all that, the terror, the helplessness, or the powerlessness, the, the shame, the, you know, it's more difficult to experience than the anger that may be there. Because maybe it wasn't as bad as you remember, I remember, but, or we say that sometimes, or maybe I'm just exaggerating or making it worse than this. But that can go on for a long time. But with the help, with help, and I'm here to help, you can call me. 310-560-0726 and, or email me and I'll send you a free 7 trauma loops at joe at rebuildingconnection.com so the survivor you'll be able to eventually accept that the trauma was, was as bad as you know it was, right? Not to minimize it because it did matter, it hurt, it was wrong, it was painful when that allows profound sadness to follow, which is gr part of the grief process, because this is grieving the loss of a, the innocence, grieving the loss of a child, and the the grief pattern cycle is, you know, denial, anger, right, 
depression, despair, those can kind of go one or before the other, right? And then eventually, you know, the bargaining, the wish that the child who is different, and we get stuck in that woundology and that frozenness, the, the woundology that we keep living and leading out from our life. And we want to try something different here, right? But that profound sadness follows here and that compassion acceptance of that poor me and the mourning of the losses of the trauma that created eventually will lead to your resolution, your redemption. Because when the losses engendered by trauma are fully mourned, when you're able to truly grieve the loss of the ideal and get into an acceptance, self-acceptance, forgiveness, the trauma loses its power over the survivor. So instead of the emotional breakdown we fear, as survivors, we can experience an emotional breakthrough and break through the upper limit barriers, being able to complete the grieving process, and again, meaning divorcing the trauma from our sense of identity and self-worth, self and that your worth is greater than you could ever have thought or imagined. And we don't have to buy into that same story that we've always bought into. So I'm gonna, so just just some thoughts here, you know, as you go on throughout your day, this is, we're just focusing on our curriculum and doing what we can for ourselves during this time to take back our power and freedom, take charge of our, our time here that we have and also just reminding ourselves that, you know, most people are trying, you know, we are trying to regulate our nervous system from the outside. And, you know, and that is appropriate. That is appropriate and normal. And this is really critical, especially in infant development. You know, as babies, we attune to our external environment. And if the big people in our environment are safe, right, we feel safe inside. If it isn't safe, we don't feel safe inside. As we, and then as we grow old or we grow, we begin to attract into our lives this ongoing vibration of our own nervous system into that nerve that it could go into more, for instance, if, we're, if we are more hypervigilant, okay? Notice what you're noticing. What are you attracting more of? That mirror your that mirror or require hypervigilance right you walk into the you know through the forest and if you're scanning and looking for evidence of all those brown squiggly things being snakes you're going to be jumping around a lot maybe never leave the house the bear's always in the house right you know but for those of us who feel challenged a lot it's important to understand why we keep attracting these stressful traumatic repeating events or even certain people into our lives, like moths to a flame, we just dive into it. Most people think that it's our bad luck, maybe bad karma, it's the karmic shuffle, or perhaps it's <coughs> someone else's fault that, you know, our path or practice feels so hard. You know, we might look for a target to blame for our misery, but then we just slowly slip into this victim seat again, and that we're trying to climb out of and so here we are you know if we investigate really deeply about this and we start 
to realize and recognize that we're attracting that type of vibration and these patterns back into our lives for a reason. And that's to repair and update this old hard drive. Thus, it's to <coughs> reboot your relationship is to reboot. So, in other words, if we catch on here, we use that unsafe environment or maybe other people's limitations or lacks as a wake-up call to begin for us to seek this higher ground because we realize it's hurting us. Okay, and and the developmental task then in that moment is for us all to get back into the driver's seat and renovate and retrain the rusty wires from the inside out. It's not an outside job. It's an inside job. And so together, I think during this process, we can find people and environments that are safe, that we can hold us with love and respect through this growth period. And then during this time, and, and over the long haul, people who are running maybe a different, higher vibration, whatever you want to call that energy, than us, right? When it's, we can attune to that too and find those safe people. But here's the, uh, here's the thing to remember. This is important. They don't find us. Those people don't find us until we take responsibility for our way. And I've had to do that over and over and over again and go to people and just say, hey, you know, this is scary for me to talk about, but I'm going to do it anyways because i got to look my worst to grow the most. And I'm going to keep growing and try to be as authentic as I can. And Because and then the sun comes out, right, and our vision gets wider and we can hold on to more, we can contain more, we can see more, we can feel more, we can do more, we can have... And having passed through this and this hero's journey out of the known to the unknown and back to you know we bit get to pass through this and we get to stand stronger in ourselves and we're more whole and we're more able to get through and now we have our nervous system upgrade our download upload our, our reboot if you will of our relationships or and everything so again, guys, I know I know these are kind of scary times out there, right? And you're not alone. Um, I hope this podcast, uh, this is part two of part one. If you missed part one, go back to part one. Um, kind of lays down a lot of the foundation here. Um, I'm trying to keep these podcasts a lot shorter. Um, so, um, and please write, email. Text if you need to call me, want to talk, 310-560-0726. Or you can email me, I'll seven, send you the seven trauma loops, um, part of an upcoming book. Um, and that's uh, and then just uh, share with your friends, like, share, you know what to do. I'm not here to, you have, uh, you could, <laughs> if you would like, if you find these helpful, I would super appreciate you sharing with your family, friends, and uh, making some comments. All right, take care, and make this your best day. And again, everybody stay safe and sound out there. Take care. Bye-bye.